So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that, just, so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us, who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the spirit. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. But letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's laws and it never will. That's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can, can never please God but you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And remember that those who do have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to him at all. And Christ lives within you, so even though the body will die because of sin, the Spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by this same spirit living within you. Romans 8, 1 through 11. There is no condemnation. There is no condemnation. Brothers and sisters, theologians say that this is the greatest chapter and the greatest verse in the greatest chapter in the whole Bible. Do you understand why? Because of that word, there is no condemnation. That's a legal term that means a debt to be paid, a price that a debt is owed. What it's saying is there is no longer a debt for you or for me. I want to make sure that you understand what this means. When we started our sermon series, Citizens and Saints, and we went through Romans chapter 12 through 16, and we rejoiced because it taught us how to live in a, as a heavenly kingdom in this earthly plane. And then it showed us how to live as a sacrifice, how to engage in politics, and how to love each other practically. And man, that was great. And then we went into part two, Romans 1 through 7, and the bad news came. It said that God had already revealed himself and that he had given us his law. And then it said, though, that we turned away from his law, but that God all throughout time walked with us, showing us his mercy and showing us his grace by loving us and walking with us, even as we broke his law. And as Jonathan says, we broke his heart. So we get to the end of Romans chapter seven. And Paul says, man, God's law is great. God is great. But me, I can't obey his law. I can't kill my sin. I can't step away from my sin. I, I, I'm a slave to my sin. And so then we get this picture that we're standing in front of a judge. 
destined for death row. We know that we're guilty. We know that we've done more wrong than anyone in the room could even imagine. And we look up at the judge and we see that, man, it's such a good judge. And even if the judge had mercy on us today, we'd be right back here tomorrow because we can't stop. We're going to go right back and do the same thing that we did yesterday, the same sin, the same addiction, the same weakness. We're going right back to it. And so we're like, nothing else I could do. Take me now. And the imagery coming into Romans 8 is that we hang our head waiting for him to say, guilty. You are destined for destruction. But instead, what we hear is my son has offered to take your place. That my son has said that he'll pay the price. So I sentence my son to death and I sentence my son to walk with you, to help you turn your life around, to help you live the life you couldn't live, to be free from the sin that you are a slave to. It is finished. Amen. No condemnation. The greatest verse in the whole Bible. And yet, Why that those of us who know what we've experienced and what we've seen, why do we live a life that doesn't look like someone that just got a second chance? Why do we live a life of fear, life of self-doubt, a life of uncontrolled emotions and undisciplined? If we're free. Romans 8 says that we have to be spirit-led. But what does that mean? Well, I believe that God has given us a word today to tell us how we can step out of the weakness of our own strength and into the power of his Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen and amen. Man, I'm so excited to be with you all here again today. My name is Braille Watson. I'm the worship pastor. If you don't know me, hopefully this is your first time because I'm always up here. Um, <laughs> hopefully this is your first time because I'm up here a lot. But if you don't know me, my name is Braille Watson. I'm the worship pastor here at Fellowship Highcrest. And today I want to show you what it means to be spirit led. And I'm going to be walking straight through from our journals today. So if you're following along, we're on page 34 with Romans chapter 8. And to pick up on my thought, we say, how, how do we be spirit-led? All right, Braille, that sounds great. I need to be spirit-led, not in my own strength. If I knew how to do that, I wouldn't need this sermon today. And that's okay. <laughs> and that's okay. So first of all, I want to talk about what being spirit-led is not. Many of us think that being spirit-led is this supernatural, emotional high that we get, that we feel, and God just tells us, go to the left and we're just walking by the force. And so we're trying to get into this emotional feeling. And so, man, when that Maverick City concert came up, we're like, "Woo! I'm about to go get spirit led. We drive an hour to Kansas City and we get there and we just we pray harder and we, and we sing louder and, and we and we cry longer. And then we drive home and we're so excited that we don't even fall asleep on that hour long drive at like 11 o'clock at night. 
And we're like, man, this is spirit led. And then the next day, we can't even get up and get to work tomorrow. We got a headache and we still find it just as hard to rejoice in all things. (laughs) So the thing is, the scripture would disagree with your definition of being spirit-led. Amos, Amos chapter 5, verses 21 through 24 say this. It's, it's the God, and I'm going to leave it up on the board so that you can look it up and read through it yourself, but I'm going to braille phrase it for you. I'm going to braille paraphrase it for you. God is talking to his people, the Israelites. His people are in a place of rebellion in the promised land. They've been worshiping idols. They've been treating the poor all kinds of ways, but Man, they've been showing up for Sunday service. They've been doing all the rituals that God had told them to do to to, uh, worship him. And God goes, fam, I don't want to hear y'all songs. Your disobedience has turned your worship into nothing but hypocrisy. I don't want to hear your songs. I don't want to hear your clanging cymbals and all your loud prayers. What I want to see is righteous living and a flood of justice. So being spirit-led is not based on something that you do. Some of you are in here like, yeah, yeah, see, I got it, those fools. Christianity isn't about the things that you do. It's about what you don't do. Obedience is better than sacrifice. And if you think that actually fit there, I encourage you to go back and read 1 Samuel because that's not what that means. (laughs) Obedience is better than sacrifice. It's what you don't do. And so you go around telling people what all they shouldn't do and, and making sure that people color inside the lines and that they're obeying all the rules. And that is important, too. That is important, too. But you're like, man, we got to make sure we're doing all of the right things. And then you start to judge your own self-worth by how well you do those things. And so you have a really good day where you're super motivated and you're like, man, I didn't cuss out my kids today. I didn't sleep in, so I made it to the gym today or even If you're single, man, I had a date night, and we actually watched the movie. It was fire. It was fire. The adults get that. (laughs) It was fire. I'll let that one sink in. (laughs) But then you get some bad news. And the next day, your motivation isn't quite where it was before, and your family gets the worst of you. The gym turns into Netflix, and Netflix turns into something else with someone else. And then the next morning, you wake up feeling like a failure. And it's like you can hear the enemy in your ear going, where's all that power you said you had yesterday? You see, Scripture disagrees with your definition of being spirit-led as well. Romans chapter 7. In Romans chapter 7, Paul is speaking to us, and the, the example that we used when I last preached on this was that being, having a sinful nature was like being sick. You got a fever, and no matter how much energy you put towards it, matter of fact, the more energy you put towards it, the more you try not to be sick, not to have a fever, the higher it gets. And the more we try in our own strength to do what God has called us to do, to follow his laws, to be the best, and to hold each other accountable for that same thing, it seems like the worse and worse we get. And then he ends that chapter saying, who's going to rescue me from this sinful nature? What a wretch I am. And then we get to chapter 8. No condemnation. But if being spirit-led isn't 
with something I do, and it doesn't come from something I don't do, how do we, how do we do it? You want to know? Do I have any Chiefs fans in the house? Okay, okay, there we go. I'm going to ask that one more time. Do I have any Chiefs fans in the house? All right, all right. On the chat, too. Y'all just start throwing up the arrowhead. Just start. Chiefs fans, man, and y'all know I got ADD, so I'm sorry, but I am going somewhere with this. <laughs> man, I, I'm talking about them real Chiefs fans, those, those ones that, like, you wear the jersey, not just on game days, but on every holiday. Like, you show up to family functions, like, I'm here with my homies. Like, you ready to go? And anytime that they open up the stadium, you, if you can get off work, you're going to be there to watch them play. You're going to pay any amount that it takes to get in and watch the team play, and you're going to represent the colors. I mean, you are a diehard fan. But let me ask you this. If you got the call today, and they said, hey, tomorrow, it's your time. Darren, you suiting up. <laughs> you suiting up. Would you do it? That's all right. I will take your silence as confirmation. <laughs> I will take your silence as confirmation. I can't see the chat, but I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure we got ellipses. Uh, <laughs> would you do it? No, because as much as I love y'all, and I know that some of y'all are way more buff than me, but you you probably get killed, and we all know that, and we want to be there for our family, we want to be there for our kids. But why? I mean. You wear the colors just like the team. You're at the game just like the team. You even gather in the same place that the team gathers. You're in the stadium with the team. But the truth is, you never qualified to be on the team. And even if you did, when you showed up, you wouldn't be very effective because you don't practice. And for most of us, our Christianity is just like that. We wear Jesus' colors. We got the Facebook posts. They look right. They sound right. We know the Christianese. We know how to respond. How you doing? Blessed and highly favored in the Lord. When the songs come on, we know how to sing just at the right spot to even stay in key a little bit, not sing too much when it's a solo. We, we know how to do it. We wear the colors. We even show up at the games. We come in on Sunday mornings if we don't have something better to do. We might show up at the fireworks show with our community group and get it in. So we're showing up where the team is. But when it comes time to get out on the field, when it comes time to share the gospel, when it comes time to represent Christ when it's not really comfortable, when it comes time to resist temptation, when it comes time to be Jesus' hands and feet, when it comes time to live or give sacrificially, we step into the game and we get slaughtered. Because the truth is that we're a part of the team. We say we're a part of the kingdom. And it's true, most of us are. But the reality is we're really more fans of Jesus than followers of Jesus. I promise I'm not here to beat you up today. This hit me too. So how do we go from being fans to being followers? How do we truly be spirit-led? Well, the first thing is you have to realize that we've already been qualified. Romans 8, there's no condemnation. 
If you look at verse 2, it says that the law of the spirit of life has set you free. The law of the spirit of life has set you what? Free. It says God is done with the law weakened by our flesh couldn't do. Said he sent his son, sent, past tense, in the likeness of sinful flesh for the sin, and he condemned past tense in order that the righteous of the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in who? In us. So that means God has already qualified you. Stop asking if you're good enough. God has already said, I've already done the work to qualify you. You don't have to get checked at the door. You don't have to get it right first. Follow me now. You're already good enough. You're already called. You're already loved. You have been qualified. Make sense? So then now what do we do? We have to follow the Spirit. We have to follow the leadership of the Spirit. And this comes in verses 9 through 12. It says in the passage that you, however, are not in the flesh but in the Spirit. It doesn't say that you were perfect today, but it says you are not in the flesh, but you are in the Spirit, and that the Spirit of God dwells in what? In you. That the Spirit of God dwells in you. And I'm going to flip over to, uh, to verse 11. It says, the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. This is the same spirit that split the sea so I could walk right through. The same spirit that raised a man literally from the dead. The same spirit that met with Moses on the mountain and when he came down he was shining and glowing. That spirit, that amazing, incredibly powerful spirit lives in who? In us. So what is it that you think you can't do? If the same spirit that's splitting seas in half lives in you, why is it that you think, I couldn't get that job? I mean, I couldn't understand the scriptures. I couldn't be vulnerable with another group of individuals. That's just not me. I can never lead that ministry. You see, most of us have heard the head coach, nay, we have heard the owner of the team call us and say, hey, fam, get ready. Tomorrow you suit up. Show up and get ready for the game. And we're like, wait, I got to run a ministry? I got to serve? Wait, I got to get stuff right with my family? Wait, I got to? No, God, that's not me. And so we show up to the game, and what do we do? We hit that concession stand. Let me get them extra large nachos. And then we slide over to the ticket booth, and we say, let me get a ticket for this seat. We show up, and we plop down in the seat when God has called you to play. Guys, it's time for us to realize that we have been qualified, so we need to follow the Spirit. We need to be obedient. It's time for us to stop saying, man, there's somebody in my life who needs to hear the gospel, so I'm going to go ahead and send them to Jonathan. You are not here to watch. You're here to play. You've been called to play. But I know what, for a lot of us, what it is is that we look at the future that God has called for us 
and all we can see is our past. And so we see our sins instead of his blood. We say, man, I'm just an attender. I'm not someone who could ever step out on the field. They have no idea what I've done and, and who I am and who I was. I'm just not there yet. I'm not ready yet. I'm going to ask you this question I heard J.D. Greer ask. This, this blew my mind. He said, here's a logical question. When Jesus died for all of our sins 2,000 years ago, how many of your sins had you committed yet? When Jesus died for your sins 2,000 years ago, how many of them had you committed yet? Now, unless some of y'all are a lot older than y'all show, I'm assuming the answer is none. (laughs) And Benjamin Button. So that means that Christ didn't, when Christ showed up, he put a tab on the table and he paid it all. He didn't die for just some of your sins. He died for the sum of your sins. He's already covered it. But we keep looking back and seeing our sins instead of his blood. And so we see ourselves as attenders who came to watch and not those who came to play. So we lose the battle in our mind before we ever even hit the field. And you want to know why? You want to know why, even when Jesus says that you can do all things through he who lives within you, through Christ who gives you strength, you still say, but I'm weak. It's because we don't practice. You know, in 2001, and y'all know I got to talk about the brain at least once. In 2001, psychologists Paul Rosen and Edward Roisman, I had to write those down because I knew Say that five times fast. Um, Paul Rosen and Edward Roisman defined a term called negativity bias. Now, negativity bias speaks about how our minds are naturally designed to look for the most negative occurrence, negative situation, negative feeling, negative self-thought, negative thought about a person, negative thought about the world, and hold it tightly. We are prone to negativity. And he said that this was important at one point in time, in the time of the cavemen, when it was really, really dangerous. The world was really dangerous, but they say it really, it just gets in the way now. It is, we don't need that anymore. And so we got to learn how to, how to get around it. And so I started thinking through that. I was like, man, well, what made the world so dangerous? Dinosaur. <laughs> what made the world so dangerous? I'm not, I'm not going to let John in the room next time I preach. <laughs> We said, what, what, what makes the world so dangerous? And so I started thinking back. I'm like, well, let me look at the scriptures. Well, in the scriptures, in Genesis, we see that Adam, the first man, when he sinned, there was a number of things that happened. So if you like comic books or you like manga, it's like you, you see the panels look like this. God puts man in charge of the earth. Things are going good. Man sins. Man hides from God, covers himself up with itchy fig leaves. The next panel, you'd see man and his wife going, he did it, she did it. (laughs) And then the panel after that, you see that the ground that God gave him charge over started to fill up with thistles and thorns. And it says that it became cursed because of him. So if we were to break that into categories, what we would see is that after sin entered the world, after sin, that nature came upon us. Then we see that man became ashamed of the body he lived in, afraid of the people that he lived with. And at odds with the world that he was given charge over. 
And I'd have to come back to 2022 and look out on the world and ask, hey, Paul, bro, what changed? Because as I look out over the world, I still see people who are ashamed of the bodies they live in, who are afraid of the people they live with. That's why we can't be vulnerable. That's why we can't be in community. That's why we can't tell people what our secret sins are so we can experience freedom from strongholds because, man, I can't be vulnerable. I got to cover up with these fig leaves. And at odds with the world we've been given charge over. That's why we fret every time the economy changes, even when we're not in a recession. Never have enough money. We never have enough confidence. We never have enough time. What changed? Negativity bias is still necessary if that's, if that's the world that they were living in in the caveman era. Because you see, sin alters our perception of the world. It changes us from admiring the beauty that God has created to being afraid of the mistakes that we've made. That's why it's so hard for us to practice self-love. Brothers and sisters, self-love is not natural. That's why we keep having to remind each other to do it. Self-love, self-confidence, strength in knowing what you can accomplish is not a normal human trait It's a gift of the Spirit of God. Sin doesn't just stop us from fulfilling the things that God has asked us to do. It stops us from seeing ourselves the way that God sees us. I'm going to share this one story with you, and then I'm going to be on my way. I'm going to take my seat. Um, In July 15th of this year, we finalized the adoption of my oldest children. Now, most of you did not know that those were not my biological, my biological children, but they are not. And so there were a lot of mixed emotions around that time. And so to honor that, I didn't really talk about I didn't really post about it. I talked about it with my team, with my community group, but we weren't really very public with that situation until it, until it happened, until it went through. But afterwards, we went out to celebrate and reflect, and I actually shared this passage with my kids. And I said to them, Y'all are beautiful, amazing young women. And every day as you grow, you are going to look more and more like your biological father. That's natural. He's a part of you, and he always will be. I said, but I do want to ask you a question. Who taught y'all how to play video games? That's kind of what they did. They're like, what? <laughs> like, what are you talking about? It's like, who taught you how to play? They're like, you did. It's like, well, who got you on the music? That was, I guess that was you too. You did that. I said, right. That's why most people don't realize that you aren't my biological kids because when the world sees you, they see you and you look like me. Because for years, you sat under me learning what it meant to love one another, learning what it meant to love those around you, learning what it meant to care for others. So every day as you grow, you look more and more like me. Brothers and sisters, our sinful nature is not going away. You're not going to grow out of it. You're not going to wake up tomorrow and be like, man, I'm just so much more pious today than I was yesterday. Your sinful nature will always be a part of you. That's what Romans 7 was telling us. It's always going to be there. The more power you get, the more you're going to want to abuse it. The more money you get, the less you're actually going to give. It's always going to be there. But as you spend time with your father, as you spend time in prayer at his feet, 
as you spend time watching his character, not only through his word, but through the spirit that he's placed in those around you, watching them live it out. That's why community is so important. And as you spend time reading not only his instructions, but his encouragement that he's laid out for you in his word, you will become more and more like your father. When the world looks at you, they won't see your sinful nature. They'll see him. They'll see Jesus. If you don't remember anything else from today, hopefully you catch at least one of the jokes. But this is what I want you to walk away with. Being spirit led is not something that we make happen. It's something that we allow to happen. Being spirit-led is not something we make happen. It's something we allow to happen. It's time to start reflecting daddy. Brothers and sisters, we have to practice the rhythms of Christ. Daily devotion, spending time in his word, spending time with him in his presence through prayer, Confessing our sins to one another, being freed from our stronghold. Brothers and sisters, when we know what God says, we have to follow his spirit. Knowing that we are qualified, following his spirit, and we have to continue to remind ourselves to realize that we are qualified. But I know that there are some of us in here today that know for a fact We're not actually qualified. We say, man, I keep showing up to the games. I keep trying to wear the colors and say to Christianese, but I have not experienced this power. Man, I I, I, kind of believe what Jesus says, but I don't know that I could ever follow him. I don't know that he would ever want me to follow him. I want you to know today that Jesus has already played the price that by accepting his name that by becoming his child all those things about you that you're like man that would keep me out of heaven man that would keep me from being a good Christian he said that there's freedom for you in his spirit you don't have to get it right before you come to him he said once you come to me I'll help you get it right But because you don't believe that you've left his free gift on the table, I want to tell you that today you can be free. And if you make that decision today, I want to give you an opportunity. I want to ask you to text C-O-N-N-E-C-T, text CONNECT to 785-432-4544. Why? Not so we can build our roster. Not so we can have more volunteers to run the play but because we want to rally the team around you to let you know that, yes, you've become a part of the team, you've become a part of the kingdom, you've become a part of the family. And now we want to help train you so that you can be strong and play in the game that our star, Jesus Christ, has already won. In a minute, I'm going to pray. No special words, no special order of words. Just a prayer of thanks for what God has already done and what he is doing here today. I want to invite you to pray with me. Let's pray. Father, we give you all the praise and glory today. 
I thank you, Lord, that your word has shown us that we have been qualified. That, Lord, we don't have to follow our sinful nature that not only devalues you, but devalues us. But that, Lord, we can walk in the power of your spirit. That we can go from being fans to being faithful followers. Jesus, I ask that your power would fall on this place and to help us take our next step, whether that be someone who's here or online stepping across the line of faith, putting their faith in you and saying, I want to follow this man, Jesus Christ. Or whether that means stepping into a community group or whether that means starting to pick up your word and study it for themselves for the first time. Whatever it is, Lord, I want to I want you to speak into this place that there's no condemnation that there's only freedom to move forward. Lord, and as we take these next steps, pull us together as a team, as a body, as a family, that we would encourage and strengthen one another, that we would be your representatives in this world as we await the hope of your return. It's in the name of your son, Jesus, we pray. We give you all the praise and we say, amen.